Good morning, Hope Church. Great to be with you this morning. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that you love us, that you care for us. And Lord, I pray today that as we listen to your word, that you would inspire us, strengthen us and help us to move forward in you. In Jesus name. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you again this morning. Uh, after speaking last week about coming back stronger uh, and focusing on the fact that Jesus calls us not only to believe, but so that we are prepared for a work of ministry and so that we become mature, I wanted to look at the place that our heart takes in this endeavour. Not our physical heart, although that's important, uh, but that aspect of us that determines our actions. So what is the human heart? Contrary to secular belief, it is not purely about being a physical being. You know, the world would have us believe that we are purely physical beings, but the Bible teaches us that we are spiritual beings housed in a physical body. And that means that our physical nature is subservient to our spiritual nature. It means our spiritual nature is far more important than our physical nature. And our chemical makeup does not explain everything. So those who believe that we're just uh, flesh and blood, that we're just chemicals thrown together, they can't answer questions uh, that arise for things like, why do we hurt when somebody says something nasty about us? You know, I can understand if somebody punches you that that is a physical thing. But if somebody says something nasty about you, why does that hurt? And then the second question, where does that hurt? And what does it actually mean that it hurts? Those are demonstrations that we are more than physical beings. The Bible sense lexicon describes the heart like this. The heart is the locus or the center of a person's thoughts, their mind, volition and emotions and knowledge of right from wrong. That is their conscience understood as the heart. The Bible is very clear in teaching us that the heart is the centre of the human being. Proverbs 4 verse 23 gives us this warning about the heart. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. And again, it's just emphasising that the centre of us is our hearts. We need to remind ourselves what it was that caused God to destroy all of humanity in the great flood. In Genesis 6, verse 5 to 7, we read, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. You will notice that it was the heart of man that was wicked and evil that caused the destruction of all humanity. You'll notice as we've mentioned that the heart is also interchangeable with the mind and the will or it includes the mind and the will. Genesis 6 as we've just read says that it was every intention of the thoughts of his heart. Our intentions and thoughts are a product of our heart. 
This was reiterated thousands of years later by Jesus. Peter asks him in Matthew 10 uh, verse 15, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet, Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying and slander. These are what defile you. So Jesus brings this idea that our hearts and what comes out of our hearts can easily defile us. And that's a further thought, really, that Jesus says that these evil thoughts emanating from the heart defile us. And the word defile means that they make us morally impure. And the other words that are used to describe that word is they make us dirty or they stain us. So we've established that our heart is the centre of our being. Some would call that the mind. Uh, the only problem with just using the word mind is that in today's common world, people would then think that's just to do with the brain, which is not true. We've also established that our intentions and actions flow from our heart. Now, you may say, well, why is this so important? Well, it should be self-evident that if everything flows out of our heart, then our heart is extremely important, especially if our heart can defile us before God. Jeremiah the prophet said this about the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? We've also established that God destroyed all life on earth because of the evil that came out of the human heart. This is a serious issue. We can't simply ignore this, especially in the light of Jesus' teaching when he was on the earth. Jesus consistently spoke about the heart. Much of his teaching included some reference to the heart. And I want to look at some of the aspects that Jesus mentioned. I believe that if we understand, it will help us better to deal with our own hearts. And I'm going to look at three aspects of the heart. I'm going to look at its complete 100% love. I'm going to look at that the pure in heart will see God. And I'm going to look at what it means to have a hard or a dull heart. So we start with the king of all commands. Mark 12 verse 30. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart all of your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Now, if you're a believer of some years, you'll know this command, and you would probably easily just move on from there. But I want you to pause for a moment. Have we really grasped what is being said here? What is the command telling us to do? Uh, Jesus said it's the first and greatest commandment. If we look at the parallel passage, this is mentioned in Matthew's Gospel, verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 36 to 38, it says this. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Let's rephrase this command into some simple questions. And I'm going to give the question, I'm going to pause for a moment, because I just want you to think about the implication of this in your life. 
So here's the question. How are we to specifically love God? Answer, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, I could say, well, let's define each one of those, but maybe it would be simpler with another question. If we seriously, this is the question, if we seriously do what we are commanded to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, what else is left to love? Answer, nothing. If we follow this command, it means nothing can be loved more than God. That doesn't mean we can't love other things, but it means they cannot be loved to the extent that we love God. Nothing should have a place in our heart, soul, mind above God. And nothing should receive as much effort and energy to love than God. Not a football team, not a sport, not a spouse or a wife or a husband, not a child or a job, not money, not a career, not wealth. God must sit supreme in our heart. Now, this is a real challenge. Is that true in your heart? Does God sit supreme or does your family, your wife or your children? Or does your career, or does money, or wealth, or does the love of the world, what sits supreme in your heart? This command is an amazing command. Now, the command tells us that only God should sit in our hearts. Why does it tell that? Because Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, don't store treasure for, for yourselves here on earth where moths uh, uh, and rust will destroy them and thieves can break in and steal them. But store your treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moths, by rust and where thieves cannot break in and steal them. Your heart will be where your treasure is. And that's really a part of the key of this great commandment. If God is the only one in our heart, then he is our supreme treasure. If we put other things into our hearts, we are beginning to put treasures on earth in and they can be taken away from us, damaged or stolen, and that will have a negative effect on us. The Apostle Paul demonstrates this attitude. He gives a long list of all the things that he had attained in his life, achievements that he had made. But when he came to know Christ, or when Christ had found him, listen to how he talks about these things. It's in Philippians 3, verse 4 to 11. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness 
of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. So here we have Paul who had achieved great things and he says everything is garbage. Everything is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Now, before we think that the Apostle Paul is isolated in that experience and thought, let's listen to what the disciples said. They said this in Mark 10, 28. Peter said to Jesus, look, we have left everything and followed you. Getting everything out of our hearts when we come to know Jesus is the starting point. When we come to Jesus and we repent and say, I want you to be the Lord of my life, we are essentially saying everything that has taken place in our hearts will now be removed and God will have the supreme place. Now, before you think that's a massive negative, it's not. Because God's heart, if God is in our heart, God's heart is expansive enough to allow us to love other people and to do good beyond any measure that we could do. But if we allow those things into our hearts without that, they can become something that becomes an idol in our life. We need to make a decision about what we allow into our heart. And I've already said it should only be God. And let me ask you this morning, is God really the supreme ruler in your heart? Are all the decisions you make, the way you spend your money and your time, are, are those determined by your love of God in your heart? Or are they determined by a love for something else? My personal experience in my own life and my experience in Christian ministry highlight that this is one of the key problem areas in church life. We love other things more than God. And sadly, we've had a gospel that has been preached that says you can have Jesus plus all of those things. The result is that in gaining those things, we lose Jesus. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? It results in a deficient faith when we don't have God supreme in our hearts. We can't partially participate in Christ. It's all or it's nothing. We're mistaken if we believe that we can have Jesus and all these other things. We need to have Jesus only. We cannot serve two masters. We must choose what enters our heart. And I believe that the heart is at the centre of most of our problems. We want God, but we don't want to let go of the world. We don't want to let go of the desires that we have and of the things that sparkle and glitter in the world that we want to grab a hold of. There's some challenging words from Joshua that I've mentioned before. He said, but if you don't want to serve the Lord, you must choose for yourself today whom you will serve. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The second aspect of the heart I want to look at is that if we truly allow our heart to be uh, the centre of God, where we love God, it says that we will see God. So all of that struggle to remove all of those things out of our hearts leads us to a place where we fellowship and see God like no one else. 
Lots of people see lots of things in the world and they fellowship with them and they glory in them. But for the believer, when Christ is in the centre, when we love him more than anything, we become to a position where we see God. John uh, 6, uh, 66 to 69 says, After Jesus said this, many of his followers left him and stopped following him. Jesus asked the 12 followers, Do you want to leave too? Simon Peter answered, Lord, who would we go to? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and, you, and know that you are the Holy One of God. Many disciples left Jesus because of some of the hard things that he said. But the apostles recognised that he is the one who brings true happiness, not by placing other things in our hearts. This parable describes this attitude in Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. One day a man found it, uh, sorry, one day a man found the treasure and then he hid it in the field again. He was so happy that he went away and sold everything he owned to buy that field. The reason that we're talking about removing all other things that would take love from our hearts is because when we find God, when we find Jesus, he brings such joy that we don't need anything else in there. And let me reiterate, that doesn't mean we don't love other people, but it means we love God and through God, he gives us a love for other people. Imagine that, possessing words of life. Not only do we possess these words of life, but if we remove those things from our hearts, our hearts become purified. And then it says in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If you have a pure heart, you will see God. What an amazing promise. You know, the world offers all of these things that don't bring any form of satisfaction. They might bring it for a moment, but they certainly don't bring peace in the heart. And so the challenge today is actually that we will see God. It's a promise. If you make God the centre of your heart, if you focus on him, then you will find that you will see God and you will know the joy that that brings. The last aspect I wanted to look at of the heart is about a hard or a dull heart. Now, this is a real challenge. Jesus often said to his disciples, why are your hearts so dull? Now, this word dull in the Bible sense lexicon is described like this. To become dull, to become fat or to be or become dull or unresponsive conceived as becoming fat or plump. So the idea is that we become fat and through that we lose our sensitivity. Lao Nida's dictionary expands it and makes it more understandable. He says to become, uh, to become unable to understand or comprehend as a result of being mentally dull or spiritually insensitive. To be unable to understand, to be mentally dull, for the heart of this people has become unable to understand. Now this is a most serious condition. It leads to a refusal to accept spiritual truths. This is evidenced all around us by people who know the truth of God and yet choose to ignore it and live a different kind of lifestyle. This theme of a hard heart or a dull heart is all through the Bible. 
It was the position of the Pharisees and that position ultimately led, ultimately led them not only to reject Jesus, but to move in a concerted effort to have him killed. Many people in Jesus's day refused to believe because their hearts were hard. John 12 tells us, but despite all the miraculous signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. This is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted. Lord, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? But the people couldn't believe, for as Isaiah also said, the Lord has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that their eyes cannot see and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and have me heal them. And Jesus also reprimanded the disciples so many times for the hardness of hearts. And yes, even as followers of Jesus, we must be aware that we can have a hard heart. And the tragedy of a hard heart is it ends in judgment. It ends in punishment. And so as we come to conclude this morning, I want to make a few suggestions that will help us in this. The first one is this. Do not take your commitment to Jesus for granted. We need to test our faith. Actually, COVID is testing it. We need to keep Jesus continually up and close to us. The Psalms give us a good advice. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. It is an important thing on a continual basis to have our hearts tested. To say, Lord, is there anything in my heart? And let me tell you something, as we get older, as we get married, as we have children, as we buy houses, as we gain possessions, all of those things are in danger of entering our hearts. And we need to be really careful that we do not allow those things in, but that we say, Jesus, would you sift my heart? And would you show me, is there anything that has become an idol? An idol is something that has a more important position in our life than Jesus. And then we say to him, help me, help me get this out of my heart. The second suggestion is do not love money. It might sound really obvious, but we love money on this earth. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Be content with what you have. Don't love money. Don't allow it into your heart. Loving money has sadly become a major downfall to many people who have been believers at one point in their life. The third suggestion that I want to make is one that comes from the Apostle John. Do not love the world. Now, I know I've mentioned this a lot since the start of this year, but I believe it's a major problem for believers. John's advice is still valid today. 1 John 2 verse 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If you love the world and the, the sorry, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. These are the ways of the world, wanting to please our sinful selves, wanting the sinful things we see, and being too proud of what we have. None of these come from the Father, but all of them come from the world. The world and everything that people want in it are passing away, but the person who does what God wants lives forever. Loving the world leads 
to moving away from God and not, and not loving God. The last one I want to mention, the last suggestion, is do not join yourselves with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 to 16, you are not the same as those who do not believe. So do not join yourself to them. Good and bad do not belong together. Light and darkness cannot share together. How can Christ and Satan, the devil, have any agreement? What can a believer have together with a non-believer? The temple of God cannot have any agreement with idols, and we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live with them and walk with them and will be their God and they will be my people. There is and there always has been a clear distinction between believers and non-believers. Now that doesn't mean we are not to connect and relate, but it means we don't join ourselves with them. We don't enter into a relationship of business or marriage with somebody who is not a Christian. Because if we do, it will have one of two effects. We will desert the Lord and compromise our values, or, or they will desert us at some point. You cannot walk with somebody else unless you are in agreement. And to have Jesus in your heart solely and only him is something that a non-believer cannot agree to. Let me finish this morning with two, two scriptures. Mark 10 verse 29 to 31. Jesus replied, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and property along with persecution. And in the world to come that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And then finally, let me encourage you with Jeremiah 29, 13. You will search for me, and when you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. If your heart's desire is Jesus and only Jesus, and you search for him with all of your heart, removing out all of the idols and everything else, you will find him. And you will know the joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ, not just when you get to heaven for all eternity, but now on this earth. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you give us such clear instruction in Scripture. And I want to pray that you would help us. I want to pray that as we look over the coming weeks to sift through our hearts and to take away and remove things that have a place in there that they shouldn't, that you would give us strength. I pray that your spirit would even now highlight things that we know we need to deal with. And Lord, give us the boldness, give us the strength to deal with those things. And Lord, I pray, lead us to a place where we know the joy of loving you and fellowship with you because we have no idols in our hearts. Lord, I pray a blessing upon your people today. Give us joy, give us peace and walk with us as you have promised in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a really great day.